We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8. The context is the return of Jesus Christ, how to be alert and awake and not to uh, be in our pajamas, spiritually speaking, but to be properly dressed. That's what we're thinking about. What is it to be properly dressed as a Christian? And we're looking at a piece of armour. So verse 8, let's just read it. 1 Thessalonians 5. Let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplates of faith and love. Now we noted last time that when it comes to what we wear as Christians, what we put on, there isn't that much in the New Testament. So we're told... For example, that we're not to draw attention to ourselves, we're not to be immodest in our dress, and we're not to wear things that are too luxurious. We're also told, positively, I forgot to mention these verses, to be clothed with humility and to be clothed with the Spirit. And then you come to verses that talk about being dressed in spiritual armour. And that's what we are interested in. Now, we're not trying, uh, in looking at these verses, to defend uh, a position, whether that's traditional or something more modern. That's not my intention. My intention is to get us to think biblically. So we can get very emotive sometimes about what we should wear as Christians. Well, it's being governed by the Bible. And if we were as animated, some of us, speaking of myself, uh, as to what we wear in terms of the spiritual armor, I think uh, we would be making much more headway in the spiritual battle. So can I ask you tonight, are you dressed properly as a Christian? Are you spiritually in your pajamas or have you got the armor on? So it doesn't matter if you're smart or casual when it comes to physical dress, are you in the armor of God, right? And we're looking at one piece of armour, in particular the breastplates. And for the Roman soldier, which Paul is thinking of, this wouldn't have just covered the, uh, uh, the breast, where the heart and the lungs would have been protected, vital organs, but also uh, the abdominal cavity, uh, where you have the kidneys and the liver, uh, etc. And in the Bible, those organs denote our feelings, so what we're thinking of especially here is protecting our feelings. Now the devil often gets in and causes a lot of trouble because he attacks our feelings. Well, we need to protect our feelings. And we've already looked at one part of this breastplate, the breastplate of faith. That's vital. But now we're going to look at love. It's the breastplate of faith and love. 
there's a big book by a Puritan called John Preston uh, that looks at the breastplate of faith and love. I think it's out of prints. And he, like we looked at last time, first talks about the need to understand justification by faith. As we've been singing, not what I feel or do can give me peace with God. Not all my prayers and sighs and tears can bear my awful load. Thy work alone, O Christ, can ease this weight of sin. Thy blood alone, O Lamb of God, can give me peace within. And this is faith. Thy love to me, O God, not mine, O Lord, to thee, can rid me of this dark unrest and set my spirit free. Is your spirit free tonight? Or is the devil causing you to have a guilty conscience because you haven't put on faith? Faith in Christ, not in feelings. That, that's the first part of this breastplate. But that doesn't mean to say that there isn't any place for anything else. So when we say we're justified by faith, it's not a barren faith. So let, let me read what John Preston says. Now, lest we should be mistaken in this, as if God should require nothing but an empty, idle faith, he adds faith and love. It must be such faith as is working. It must be such a faith that works by love. And then in Galatians, a letter that Paul wrote about the same time as Thessalonians, one of his earliest epistles, for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision availeth, but faith which worketh by love. So we can't divorce justifying faith from love. The reformers had a great watchword. They said, we are justified by faith alone, but the faith that justifies isn't alone. Do you get that? We're not justified by love. What Christ has done for us, 100% salvation, is accepted by faith alone. Faith is the channel. But when we believe in Jesus Christ, that faith produces works of love, doesn't it? So there's no such thing as a barren faith. We call that easy believism. And it's not what the Bible teaches. And so you've got the same uh, when it comes to the letter of James. Now, Martin Luther didn't like James's letter. He called it a right strawy epistle. And that wasn't a term of commendation. Because James says, works are important. But James isn't saying we're justified by works. He is saying, if we say we're justified by, justified by faith and then we don't love anybody, well, we are not properly saved, are we? So James says, if you're justified by faith, that faith is going to show itself in works. So let me just give you James 2.18. These are works of love, incidentally. So we're looking at this relationship between faith and love. The breastplate of faith and love. Show me your faith apart from your works, says James. And I will show you my faith by my works. So... We don't just believe. Yes, by faith alone we are saved. But that faith which saves produces love, works. It's not barren. Uh, let me give you another illustration. If we are saved, 
our faith is going to be fruitful. What fruit is it? The fruit of the Spirit. What are the fruits of the Spirit? John starts, when he woke up every morning, he reminded himself of the fruit of the Spirit. That's a good thing to do, isn't it? What are they? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So, faith and love. Secondly, I want to show you this love isn't an option. It's absolutely vital. Uh, that's why we read 1 Corinthians 13. That's quite a challenging chapter. It's often read in weddings. I don't know why, because it's not that kind of love. And Paul is saying at the start of 1 Corinthians 13, it's not how much we believe that matters. It's not how much we experience the feelings that matter. It's not how much we do, even, that matters. There's such a thing as barren works, not just barren faith. You can even offer your body as a sacrifice. But if it's not love that's motivating you, what does Paul say? You are nothing. Nothing. Do you think Paul is going too far? What about the greater than Paul, Jesus Christ? The last sermon that Jesus preached to his disciples before his crucifixion. What did he say? In the upper room, a new commandment I give to you. Do you know there are 11 commandments? Jesus gave a new commandment, and yet it wasn't new, was it? He was simply clarifying the law. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. So we can't be true Christians if we don't have this love. This isn't um, a feeling of love. Now some people, they have a temperament that makes them gregarious. You, you know the kind of person? They may not be a believer, but they just like everybody and everybody likes them. Now most of us don't have that. But this isn't the kind of love that Paul is thinking of here. This is only a love that a Christian can know. Jesus says, just as I have loved, you love one another. So it's this agape love that we have experienced in Christ and then we show to one another. It's also filial love, the love of the brethren. Did, did you get bugged last Sunday in the after meeting by one of the questions? I got bugged. It hasn't left me still. Um, I think it was John who asked. Uh, it was a very good question. And he asked our apprentices, how will you measure whether it's successful, your apprenticeship? It got to me that in the right way now. How do you measure success? Not just when it comes to the apprentices, but how do you measure success in the ministry? Am I a successful pastor? How do you measure success for the church? How do you measure success in your own Christian life? How do you do it? Is it in terms of how much we know? 
Is it in terms of how much we do? Now, all of those things are good. Is it in terms of how many people come to our meetings? And we're a good number here this evening. Is it how many meetings we've got? Is it how much money we have? Now, all of those things, in and of themselves, are good things. But is that what spiritual success is about? What about Jeremiah? He wasn't successful then, was he? What about Jesus Christ? I say that carefully. He had far less people converted under his ministry than were converted under the apostles in the book of Acts. I don't read of 3,000 being saved under one sermon that Jesus preached. What about for us personally in our own life? What is success? Well, surely it's measured by love, isn't it? Paul was writing to the Corinthians and he was saying it's not gifts, it's not gifts, but love that God is interested in. And what about our witness? This is the vital part of love, this breastplate of faith and love. What about our witness? Listen to Jesus again in the same chapter where he says, a new commandment I give you. He goes on to say, by this people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So if a person saw a soldier coming in uh, Paul's day, uh, they would be able to say from the uniform of that soldier what army he represented. So I don't know what a breastplate of a Roman soldier would have looked at, looked like, but I'm sure it would have been an indicator of uh, whom he represented. And, you know, it's love that's the uniform of the Christian. By this, people will recognize us. Francis Schaeffer through the centuries, Christians have displayed many symbols to show that they are believers. They have worn badges in their lapels. Is anybody wearing a cross on their lapel or a fish sign? They may wear a crucifix about their neck. They may even have a special haircut. I don't know what that is. But there is a much better sign, not thought up, and it is a mark of true Christianity throughout the ages. What is it? Love. Love. Have you got it? If you don't have it, you've got something missing. Or are you more concerned about what a Christian is wearing to church? It's all to no avail if we don't have love as an uniform. Love. What did we sing? Let holy charity, that's love again, my outward vesture be may love my suit of clothing be 
There's a famous quote, isn't there, by Tertullian of the early Christians. See how they love one another, for they themselves are animated by mutual hatred, said Tertullian. The people who are not believers, see how these Christians are ready even to die for one another. What a powerful witness that would be. Our love for one another. Yes, it's the word of the gospel that we want to reach out to this city and beyond. But there's something even more powerful than the preaching, and that is our personal life. That's what turned the Roman world upside down. So this faith that saves us, it's not barren. It shows itself in the fruit of the Spirit, and it's love. This love isn't just something mechanical that causes us to do things. We can be doing that and still not love. It's something living, vital. Uh, there's another hymn which puts it well. Do you know this one? So let our lips and lives express the holy gospel we profess. So let our works and virtues, I like this, shine to prove the doctrine all divine. Then shall we best proclaim abroad the honours of our Saviour, God. Don't you want to be a Christian that shines for the Lord? Uh, after I was saved and Jesus Christ came powerfully by His Spirit into my heart, I just had that joy that my sins were forgiven. I'd been in my room all Sunday afternoon and my friend came to the door and I let him in and his first question to me was, have you been jogging? Because I was shining. Oh, don't you want to shine again for the Lord? Haven't we lost our shine? Don't you want Jesus Christ to shine through you? Isn't it right in that sense to pray, shine, Jesus, shine, even through me, even through me. This is not something we are working up. It's nothing to do with feeling. It's nothing to do with temperament. It's just being so overwhelmed by the love of Christ that we are just reflectors of that. So the priority of love. And then my last point, and this is the most important point. Just as we are to put on faith, we're to put on love. So again, putting on this breastplate, the word has two meanings. It's something that's happened when we were saved. So the love of Christ came into our hearts when we were born again. But also, it's something we do every day. I've got to put on this breastplate of love. So just as John starts every morning, I don't know at what point he was reminding himself of the fruit of the Spirit, but as he was getting dressed, maybe, he wasn't just dressing himself physically, but he was dressing himself spiritually. Just as we dress up, maybe, to come to church, that's not a bad thing to do. We dress up with this breastplate of love. Now then, I just want to ask the question, how? how? How do we put on this? How do we do it? I've already made some hints, but let me just go through a few 
practical points, and then we'll be done, because we're looking forward to the after-meeting, I'm sure. The first is this. We realize that this breastplate of love is there to protect our feelings. So surely we must start here by reminding ourselves that love is much more than a feeling. Don't some of us get into uh, a mess here because we equate love with feeling and if we're not feeling love, we think we're not loving. And so we give up. But we say to ourselves, hang on, this breastplate of love is protecting my feelings and true Christian love isn't primarily feeling it involves feeling it is something higher than the feelings it involves the will uh, think of that prayer breathe on me breath of God fill me not just with life but with love anew that I may love what thou dost love and do what thou wouldst do what is that talking about it's not just a feeling is it it's this willing And along with that, I remind myself, this isn't me trying to work something up that isn't there. It's looking at Christ. Love one another as I have loved you. And I see the love of Christ. What kind of love was his towards me? Well, we looked at it this morning. While I was a sinner, he loved me. While we were enemies, he lavished his love upon us. And since being saved, what are we like? We're not very good, are we, in loving him back? We often fail him. We often let him down. We often fall into sin. But does he disown us? Of course he doesn't. He is long-suffering and so patient with us. And so what do I do? I remind myself I've been loved with this kind of love, agape love. And my love is toward those that Christ has loved and if Christ has accepted a brother or a sister, who am I to refuse them? And it doesn't just extend to the family of faith. It goes beyond to the lost world. It's not filial love then. It's compassion. But there is a love to my brothers and sisters which is more special. Brotherly filial love. It's like attracting like. It's not... Similar personalities. We're different personalities here, aren't we? It's not similar cultures. We're different cultures here. It's not similar ages. We're different ages. It's not anything that the world causes us to come together around. It's the Spirit. You have the Spirit of Jesus in you. I have the Spirit of Jesus in me. And there is a drawing And so, I'm being very practical here. I may be of a different age to another brother. I may be a Welshman and he may be another culture. We may have very different personalities. We may even rub one another up the wrong way. But that doesn't mean you can't love them. Love rises above your natural inclinations. And you determine to love them because Jesus has. You don't choose your family. You choose your friends. We haven't chosen one another as a family. Christ has. And we're to love one another as he loved us.
I think we get into difficulties because we confuse feelings with love. I think we get into all sorts of trouble in the spiritual battle because we just don't like somebody and we've got to find some spiritual reason. Oh no, you've just got to rise above your feelings and love, love. Uh, how did Paul put it in Colossians? Just as Jesus Christ forgave us, so we are to forgive and forbear with one another. It's not easy, is it? It's <laughs> I find after preaching on a theme like this, the Lord always in his providence allows something to happen the next day uh, that uh, enables us to put into practice <laughs> what we've been hearing maybe in the workplace or in school or uni uh, or even in the church, uh, you may come across a situation where you are forced to love somebody and you don't want to do it. But God says you must because I have loved them. You must. Do you know what the two words are that are rarely used by us believers? Do you know what they are? Thank you. And sorry. Sorry. When did you last say sorry to another person? Forbear with one another. Can't we do that? If Jesus Christ daily forbears with us, I'm sure we can. So putting on this love is reminding ourselves it's more than a feeling. It's looking to what Jesus Christ has done in loving us, in loving our brothers and sisters, and it's determination come what may, to show that love to those round about us. Let me read again from 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient. Think of this week now. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. Church councils on Tuesday. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, even somebody who gets on your nerves, believes all things, and hopes all things, and endures all things. But there's something positive as well in putting on love. Surely, it means that we think less of ourselves and think more. Not just about Christ, but about other people. Let me read what Paul wrote to Philippians. Verse 1 of chapter 4. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercies, the feelings, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others more important than themselves. Do we do that? Or are we so preoccupied about ourselves? It's got to be my view. 
We're not thinking of the gospel now, but in areas where we can disagree, we insist that our view is heard. It's our agenda. It doesn't matter what other people may want. I've got to have my own way. It's the zeal of youth, isn't it? <laughs> I remember one minister saying to me a few decades ago in a minister's conference after a discussion, you've got to have the last word all the time, Win. Are we willing not to have the last word? To yield. To yield. What did um, James say about the wisdom that comes from above? It's willing to yield. There's a sweet reasonableness about it. Isn't that lovely? It's a love that doesn't see oneself in two uh, greater lights, but puts more attention on others, puts more attention on others. Can I give you an example, one lovely example? Have you been to the head in Mustard, the mustard seed in Lampeter? Uh, it's a lovely Christian bookshop and cafe. Well, a few years ago, if you'd have gone there, you would have seen Gareth Jones in the kitchen uh, washing up the dishes. And do you know what Gareth Jones' job was at the time? He was director of education for Cardiganshire. Isn't that lovely? Somebody who had such a high position in the world, in the church, being more than happy to serve. Let, let me just close. I've just got a few quotes and then I'll be done. Uh, Salman Rushdie, when he was under the fatwa, he went to Washington, to the White House. Bill Clinton was president at the time, the most powerful man in the world. And do you know what the first thing the president said to Salman Rushdie? What can I do to help you? Salman Rushdie was blown over. The president, the most powerful person in the world, is asking me how he can help me. Brother, sister, is it too much for you to ask your brother and sister, is there anything I can do to help you? If we were all thinking like that, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be powerful? Let me quote another president, and I'm Christianizing this quote. Was it um, Kennedy who said, Ask not what my, not my country, I'm making it applicable to the church. Ask not what my church can do for me, but what I can do for my church. May God help us to be dressed in this armor, the breastplates to protect the feelings, especially, of faith and love. And without love, we are nothing. But let us, because of who we are in Christ, daily seek to put on this love. Let, let us, God, this coming week, to help us to put into practice, to just love one another. To love one another, what did Peter say? Fervently, with pure hearts. To, 
as was spoken in a ladies' conference a few weeks ago, not to suck the energy out of one another, but to energize one another, to encourage one another, and to say to one another, look up, look up for his namesake. Let's sing now as we conclude. It's a great hymn about the love of Christ, love divine, all loves excelling, joy of heaven to earth come down, fix in us thy humble dwelling, all thy faithful mercies crown. Jesus, thou art all compassion, pure, unbounded love thou art, visit us with thy salvation. Number 604.
just thank thee for loving us, for putting up with us. Help us to put on this breastplate of love. And, O oh Lord our God, may people in this city say of us at the heath, see how much they love one another. Father, this doesn't come natural to us. Uh, this is not uh, that liking, uh, but it's that agape, filio, love of Christ. Please just come down, O oh love divine, and change us, change this church uh, from glory to glory. Make us more Christ-like, we do ask. And may there be a revival, uh, we pray, a baptism of the Spirit, a baptism of love. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forever. Amen.